Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. This year we've themed the year Your Kingdom Come. And uh, this morning I wanted to preach a message uh, about uh, God's kingdom coming. And we spent a little bit of time looking at this last year, uh, but because it's going to set up the theme for the rest of this year, uh, I just wanted to, again, to preach it. And the thing about the kingdom of God is you could actually preach on this subject uh, probably every week for years, and there would be plenty to talk about. Did you, did you know that the kingdom of God, or the, or the word kingdom, is actually used over 300 times in the Bible? The kingdom of God is used 88. The kingdom of heaven is used 41. If you read the gospel of Matthew, it's used 53 times. And for whatever reason, the kingdom of God seems to be a real central focus uh, in in Scripture. It seems to be a real central focus in the Bible. And I believe that it's there to capture our attention. And this year, for us as a church, uh, I want to talk about God's kingdom coming to earth. His kingdom. So let me just go ahead and try to explain, uh, I guess in my own words, what I feel that is. The kingdom of God It's really like God's manifest presence and it's coming to earth and it's fixing things that aren't right in this place here on earth. When the kingdom of God comes, it restores things. We see it in its power and and, and we can sense it in our hearts, but really it's just the manifest presence of God at work in the earth today. And can I tell you that the kind of stuff that we're talking about, the kingdom of God, it is incredibly and exceptionally valuable. It is so valuable. In fact, if you believe what Scripture says about the kingdom of God, it's so valuable that you would and should give everything you can to lay hold of it, to find it. In fact, there's a couple of Scriptures in the Bible that talk about it. We're going to look at some of those today. So here's, here's one of the parables of, uh, that helps us to, to understand the kingdom of God. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he goes ahead and he buys that field. And so the kingdom of, of heaven, it, it's not the field, it's, it's, it's not even the treasure, it's, kinda, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, and when somebody finds it, they would sell everything they have to go back and buy that field. Why? Because it is incredibly valuable. Now this is a parable, it's not an allegory, so there's one main point here. Do you know in the very next verses, this is what it says, the parable of the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. It's not a merchant. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So what is the main point that Jesus is making here. The main point Jesus is making is the kingdom of God is so valuable that when, when people see it, they would sell everything that they have just to lay hold of it. And at the end of it, they'd be happy about it. They don't have buyer's remorse. You ever done that? You went and you buy, the pants looked good in the store, but they have special mirrors, you know. Get back and these didn't look as good as they did back there. 
You never get buyer's remorse with the kingdom of God. You don't get that. Because when a person gives everything they can to lay hold of what we're talking about, they walk away happy. They walk away full of joy. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And here is part of why I believe it's so valuable. If you find what Jesus is talking about, you gain access to the kind of life that Jesus led. If you lay hold of what Jesus is talking about here, this is part of why I think it should be so valuable to us. You get to live the kind of life that Jesus led. Now, if you look back through Scripture, if you uh, read your Bible at all, and you see the kind of things that Jesus did, how many of us would like to live that life? How many of us here this morning would love to be able to do the kind of things that Jesus did, yeah? Do you know that Jesus said, greater things than these shall you do? The promise that He made was not to just His disciples who were standing there this morning. It was to those who would be taught by His disciples. It would be to those who are sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. And if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus has died for your sin, you're a son in the house. And I believe the greater things that Jesus was talking about, the kind of life that Jesus led is the kind of life that's actually entitled to you. And what you actually gain access to is not just an incredible relationship with your Father who is in heaven. You get something else. You get access. It's it's almost like the kingdom, when it begins to sprout in your life, becomes a gateway and a doorway to the miraculous. It becomes a gateway and a doorway to miracles. And you know why? Because miracles are naturally what happens when we become under the king's domain, under his kingship. A kingdom, we understand, you would know this, you've heard this before. The word kingdom, two words, king's domain or king's dominion. When you're under the dominion, under the rule and under the authority of your Father who's in heaven, the most improbable things begin to be possible. Why? Because you're not living under what everyone else is living under. You're living under the authority of Almighty God. And when you live under God, wow, anything's possible. You live under God and anything is possible. Do you know, for years, just speaking out of my own life, I lived with the contradiction of my life and actually the Scriptures. And I might be alone today, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I live with the contradiction because I don't know if if you read this book, but when you read this book and you see the kind of life that Jesus led, and you say, oh, greater things than these shall we do, and you pray and it doesn't happen, the thing that you're asking for, You've asked someone to be healed of sickness and it doesn't happen immediately. You start to live with a contradiction. Now I came to a place in my own life where I wasn't prepared to, to live with that. I wanted to deal with it. So I started to wrestle through the questions. You know, the Bible says that the deep calls to deep. The deep parts of man call to the deep parts of God. I'm like, God, this is not enough for me. I don't want to come and stand in church on Sunday and sing your songs and get up and preach about the great things that you're able to do and never see the expression in my own life. What good of it is it if all the stuff that I talk about here on Sunday is not even practical? It's not practical. You can't actually do it. We celebrate what it would look like if we did. I thought that's not the kind of life that I signed up for. That's not what I want as a Christian. I want that authentic experience. I want to know what it's like to live that life. And I 
wrestled through questions and there are two questions that really come to mind when it comes to the issue of of that tension. First of all, I want to know if God is willing. It's a character question. I want to know if God is willing. You want to know the same thing. Because when you pray, you want to know, is God willing to answer my prayer? Does He care about me? Does He care about my life? Does He care about where I end up? Does He care about my child who's sick? Does He care about my father who's in hospital right now? Is He willing to do something about it? Is His will, is His desire, is it for me? And, and that's one of the things that you have to wrestle through. You have to think through, is he, is he willing? The second question is, is He able? You see, if He's willing but He's unable, that doesn't help you. If He's able and He's unwilling, that doesn't help you. And so what we need would be a God who is both willing and able to do the things that we read about in Scripture. And let me tell you something. One day I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm reading the Lord's Prayer. And as I'm reading it, it hits me. That not only is He both willing, but He's able. It, it, it hits me. And you've heard the Lord's Prayer and it goes something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, I started to think about Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. In other words, when you read Scripture and it says that He is the exact imprint of the Father, that means that Jesus' nature is just like His Father's. So what is Jesus praying for? He's praying for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what happens in heaven? Well, it's perfect. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. Everything happens the way that God wants it. There is no sickness. There is no disease. No one's dying in heaven. And I realized that not only what the Father wants, what the Son wants, they want things to be on earth as they are in heaven. And it suddenly became relevant to me. I'm like, God, you're willing. And I know that you're able. When that happened to me, it sort of raised my expectations what should you expect of a God who's both willing and able? Well, I don't know, but I think you should expect a lot more after you discover that He's willing and able than if you're still wrestling through those questions. If you're wrestling through the questions, you're still trying to figure out if He's even willing to do it. Once you come to a place where you're settled in your heart that He's both willing and able, your expectation should begin to increase. It should begin to rise. It should begin to make you look back over your life and maybe start to rethink some of the things that you'd previously held to be true. I'll tell you, I've already spoken about this last year, but really briefly, I began to develop a theology around failure because when I pray and it doesn't happen, I start to think, oh, this is the way that God actually wants things to work. Don't know if we can get that back. Can I tell you, um, as I began to look through this and read through it, it, there was one thing that became apparent to me. God's plan from the beginning was really to give to His people. It was really to give us dominion. It was really to give us rule in the plan in the beginning. In fact, if you go back and you look in Genesis, this is what Genesis says. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image for, um, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In other words, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, 
He gave them dominion. He gave them rule. He gave them authority. And he said, right, I've created it. Now I've made you in my image and here's the plan. I'm in charge, but you're on the earth and you're going to live in such a way. You're going to roll out my authority across the earth. And it was easy for that to, to happen because they were, they were created in perfection, in perfect relationship. They knew what God wanted to do. But then if you know the story, what happened? They sinned. And, and can we just, again, let's just define sin as just, uh, it's not some just moral failure or something like that. It's just living the life that God didn't want us to. And instead, what did they do? They didn't listen to God. They decided to do things their own way. And what happened? They, they, they sinned. And the moment that they sinned, sin lost humanity its dominion. Sin lost humanity its dominion. So then it would make sense, right? I mean, think about it. If sin lost us that position of authority, well, then how do you get back to getting it? Easy. Just be completely obedient to God. That's all you got to do. And if you can just obey Him all the time and never sin and never make a mistake, you can sort of maybe get your way back there. Guess what? Impossible. Absolutely impossible. And God proved it. He said, listen, if you really want to know what it's like to live a perfect life, I'll give you the law. This is Old Testament. Um, You know, 613 commandments. If you break one, you're breaking them all. So it seems right that if disobedience lost our dominion, then obedience would be the likely way that we get back to getting a position of dominion, only that it's impossible. Have you ever um, left, left your house one day and if you've got a lock on, on your front door and you, you snip it shut and then you walk out and just as you close it, you go, oh, wait, wait, wait. And then you realize my keys are inside and I'm trapped outside. Has that ever happened to you? It has happened to me. I had to run to my parents' house and get a key to go back and, and unlock the door and get back in. That's what this experience was like. They walked through a door They turned around, it closed, can't get back in because I can't be obedient enough to be placed in the position of authority and dominion. So you know what happened? You ready? Jesus. Jesus is what happened. God sent Jesus and because we couldn't live a perfectly obedient life, you know what He did? He lived it for us. And so what happened is we got His perfect life and He got our sinful one and we get what He deserved and you know He got what we deserved and suddenly grace became the way, became the key to get back through a door that we would never have ordinarily been able to get back through. Obedience wasn't the key that put us back in a place of dominion. It's actually grace. And you would do well to remember that because there are too many people living with self-condemning thoughts. But if you understand that you've been justified by God, that means that you wear the righteousness of Christ. That means that you're continually in His favour. That means that He loves you. That means that when you sin, you're forgiven. That you're always being put back into that position of dominion, not because you're obedient, because of grace. Because He loves you. Because He cared for you. You get what He deserved. And so grace became the way back through which we entered into that place where we could have that position of dominion all over again. And you know why I preach this? Because the truth is, I see too many people, myself included, still wanting to see life on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the kingdom and salvation, they're not exactly the same thing. A lot of people become saved by the grace. What does the Bible say? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Okay, great. Now that we're there, We begin a search. 
for the kingdom of God to begin to be expressed in our lives so that we can see heaven on earth. We can see life on earth as it is in heaven. Can I tell you this morning that as elusive as that life may be, we, we need to continue to be in search of it. You know, I, I, I don't want to be sharing this stuff with you this morning and, and it's so good that it's, you know, it, it's not helpful. <laughs> you say, that sounds great. I don't even know where to begin with that. This, this has to be something that we can apply. And if you have not really arrived in a place where you're experiencing what I'm talking about, and, I, and I'm there with you sometimes as well, I see parts of it breaking through, but don't continue to, or, or, or you know, just continue to seek for it. Don't give up and don't settle for less. Do you know in the, in the last couple of weeks, man, I have lost my keys multiple times. I went to YD, now I bought a shirt, and as I got to my car, I got a phone call, and I answered the phone, and the lady said, oh, it's such and such from YD. I thought, this is the best customer service I've ever had. What is she calling to see if I'm still happy with my purchase? I haven't even got to the car. She said, Ben, you left your keys here. I said, oh, I'll be straight back to get those. I went back and got them. I was out for coffee the other day, and I'm walking out the door, and, and just as I'm walking out the door, the guy who works at the coffee shop says, Ben, you left your keys there. I mean, I, I find it hard to look for things that I can see. I, I lose things that I can see. It, it happens to me. How do you begin to search for something that you can't even see? That's what it's like looking for the kingdom. How do you begin to find something you don't even know where it is? Find it. Where do I begin? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus gave us a couple of clues about where we could begin to look so we would know not only what we're looking for, but where we could actually find it. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 13. He tells this parable and he says that the kingdom of heaven, just so you know, it's like leaven. So he says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. If you take some bread and you put leaven in it or yeast, it's the thing that makes it rise. It's the ingredient that makes it rise. So let's say you've got two loaves and one's got the leaven in it and the other one doesn't have the leaven in it. They look exactly the same. But when you take that, that loaf or that dough and you put it in the oven, when you begin to apply heat, the leaven inside the bread causes it to rise. And that's what the kingdom of God is like on your mind. You imagine the dough is actually like your mind. And when heat and when problems and when things begin to come at you in life, it, when you think about things differently, it'll cause you to rise. You might look the same as everyone else, but when problems begin to arise, there's an ingredient that's in you that's different that causes you to look at the world differently. You don't look at it the same way. You don't look at problems the same way because you're not continually looking at your problems with lack. Oh, I wish we could change this. I wish this would look different. I wish I could turn this diagnosis around. You don't look at it like that. There's an ingredient in you. It's called the kingdom and it will cause you to rise to meet the problems that are in the world. It's an agent of change. It's an ingredient that brings transformation. That's what it does. So let me tell you this. When the heat begins to be applied to your life, when the problems start to come, be really careful what thoughts you begin to entertain, yeah? You've got to be careful what thoughts you begin to cultivate. 
If you're a person who constantly lives in lack, who constantly lives in, in, in and no self-condemning here at all, because that's not what we're going for here, but you're always self-condemning. You're always, you know, think, oh, there's no way that we're ever going to be able to break through this. If you, then, then really what I'm saying is, is that your faith is actually very, very low. You've, you, your faith is very low and you start to cultivate it. You know, if you think about cultivating anything, don't you pay attention to something that you cultivate? You pay attention to it, Yeah. I'm I'm not a farmer, but if I wanted to cultivate some plants, I would go out every day and I'd check on them to make sure that they're okay. That's what people do with wrong thinking. They go out every day. Do I still have that thought? Yeah, I do. All right. I'm cultivating that thought. I'm paying attention to it. That thought is, you know, sometimes thoughts can be like a seed that's planted in your heart. And if you pay attention to it and you cultivate it, it can really take root. Yeah, difficult it is to uproot wrong thinking when you've done it for an extended period of time. That's why you've got to be so careful about the kind of thoughts that you entertain and the kind of thoughts that you cultivate. You know, when it comes to cultivating faith, because you've got to think faithful thoughts, you've got to continually think, you know, God is able, like Jay said this morning. You've got to cultivate that kind of thinking and not the wrong kind of thinking. Let me tell you something. I, I read a quote uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and this was a quote by Bill Johnson, and, and he said that faith is not the absence of doubt, but it's the presence of belief. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but it's the presence of belief. And can I be honest with you this morning? I said, I feel like in church for a long time, and let me just lift the lid on something right now. I, I've heard a lot of wrong thoughts and ideas when it comes to faith and doubt and belief. Have you ever heard somebody that prayed for something and then somebody said, the reason that you can't believe is that you've got doubt? So what happens? Well, I don't know about every other denomination, but in my experience, particularly in Pentecostal movement, everyone, no one wants a doubtful thought in their mind. You know, stay away from doubt, you know. And if one actually entered your mind, freak out because, oh my gosh, it came to me. You know, now I'm not going to get what I wanted. You know, like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to hear doubt. Oh, no. Then you know what? Throw the whole thing out. Just forget it. There was doubt in there. Can I tell you something about how this works? The truth is, is that doubt will come to your mind. You know, you can't stop every thought that actually enters into your mind. Can I suggest to you this morning that actually that the enemy of your soul would actually love to continue to sow doubt into your mind? So when you get it, it's not that as soon as you have a doubtful thought in your mind that you throw everything out. Sure, you may have had a doubt in your mind, but did you cultivate it? Did you begin to water it? Did you begin to let it take root in your heart? Did you begin to think about it? Did you pay attention to it? When you pay more attention to what the enemy is doing in your life, you give him a place in your life to work. But when you pay more attention to what God is doing in your life and you think thoughts of faith, the doubts may come, but you don't have to listen to it. So just because it comes doesn't mean that you should have a freak out moment. Doubts may come. It doesn't matter. Let God do what He wants to do. When you get something that God's given you, you got to hold on to it. Cultivating a mind of faith prepares you to receive the kingdom. It just prepares you to receive something that God wants to give you. So how do you do that? Well, the way that you begin to cultivate thoughts of faith, to be honest, is that you, you pray. It's prayer. What's prayer? Prayer is just talking to God, right? 
It's not on your knees with your hands like this. Prayer is conversation and communication with God. And the more conversation and communication you have with God, the more you begin to cultivate faith in your heart. If you begin to read your word, the, the Bible, you begin to read what God says and what he declares about himself and you fill your mind with what he says, not with what the doubts say, but you fill your mind with what he says about himself. What do you do? You cultivate, you cultivate faith. So what we really need is, is a, a group of people that are willing to do a couple of really simple things. One, read their Bibles and two, just keep praying. And if you just read your Bible and you keep praying and you do these very simple things, you'll begin to cultivate a mind of faith and it will prepare you to receive the next thing that God wants to do in your life. So here's what we're going to do. I know this is unorthodox. I'm going to break all the rules right now. We're going to stand and pray right now. In the, in the middle? Yes, in the middle of a message. I know. So why, listen, I tell you what, if you're here and you're a guest today, please, you do not have to be a part of this. But if you want to, stand to your feet right now. And what I'm going to pray for you, because if you're here and you don't know who I am, say, well, before I stand and partner with this, I want to know what this guy's about to say. Well, I'm about to pray for you that what happens right now is that the Holy Spirit will supernaturally bring your mind into alignment with His Word. That's it. Okay, so let's pray. Father, I pray for every person that's here this morning who stood to their feet and I believe that standing to their feet is a sign of agreement right now. And so Jesus, in your name, I bring every wrong pattern of thinking into alignment with your word. God, I pray that supernaturally by the presence of your spirit that you begin to correct wrong thinking and whatever has begun to take root inside people's hearts, whether it be doubt or anything else that's in there that's wrong, bring it all into alignment with with what you say to be true about yourself. Father, this morning, if there be doubt in this room, Father, we know it's there. We don't want anyone to feel convicted or condemned, but Father, in Jesus' name, bring all of that into alignment with your word. We wanna believe what you say. If you say we can have it, we can have it. If you said it, it's going to happen. If you've made a promise, it'll come to pass. And God, we bring all of our hearts and our minds and our spirits into alignment with everything that you say to be true about yourself. In Jesus' Jesus name and everyone said amen. amen you can grab a seat I think every now and then what we need to do is just bring our minds into alignment with what God says about us with what God says about his word and what he can do and not pay attention maybe so much to the doubts if you begin to cultivate right thinking, do you know what happens? Your expectation of God will begin to grow. It begins to rise. It begins to increase because you're thinking rightly about Him. If you're thinking rightly about Him, how do you see Him? You don't just see Him as Father. You see Him as as God who created the heavens and the earth, who's able to do all things. You see Him the way that He declares Himself in Scripture. And He says, he says that He can do all things. More to the point, he says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You know, the thing about the kingdom is when it comes to you and it begins to maybe be manifested in your life, it doesn't always come complete. Sometimes it comes as a seed. Sometimes it comes as something small and you begin to grow it. You begin to think about it. Do you know that, that, that when God puts things in your heart, they're supposed to grow? Do you know that your faith, you know, is supposed to grow? Do you, know, do you know, the Bible says in the last days that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh 
and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall dream dreams, and your old men shall see visions, or the other way around. And here's, here's the point. Sometimes, some of us, when you get something that's meant to grow in your mind, sometimes God will put a thought in there. It's supposed to grow. Did you know that dreams and visions are the language of the Spirit? Do you know that when God wants to speak to you, He puts thoughts in your mind? They're supposed to grow. They're supposed to take root. Do you know that I feel like for, for, for many people, God has probably said good things are in store for them and maybe given them a picture and people have written it off as daydreaming. Oh, you are supposed to entertain the possibility of what God could do. When God begins to speak to you, you're supposed to get it, think about it, dream about it. Have these kinds of you know, words in your mouth where you say, Oh God, wouldn't it be awesome if you... Oh, I can, I can just see you doing. Oh, I absolutely believe that you will. Here, what happens? You're cultivating the thought that he put in there. You're believing him. You're bringing your life and, and, and your spirit into alignment with what he said. It's supposed to grow. That's not even a crazy thought because Jesus said the exact same thing. And in fact, this is what he said. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he always said that it would be something that is supposed to grow in your life. So maybe at the moment you've got something small that you're holding on to that you believe. Let it grow. Let God begin to grow it in your life. Let it grow amongst the distractions. Just so you know, I actually understand what that passage is about. Jesus was saying that Christianity is like a, a mustard seed that when planted in the garden would grow and become bigger than all the other uh, trees and the bushes and, and the, that are in the garden. The trees and the bushes are the pagan religions that Christianity was surrounded by. It was Judaism. And what Jesus was saying is, guys, I know there's just 12 of us, but let me tell you, this is actually going to grow and this is going to become bigger and larger than all the other religions that you see. I know it's small now, but the kingdom will begin to grow. And in fact, I read an article in the Washington Times that took a global census and said that Christianity is now 33% of the globe. I mean, that's the best kind of statistics we can get, a global census. I don't know, but it was by far the dominant religion. Everything Jesus said actually became true. And whether people really know what that means or they just sort of align themselves with it, I can't be sure of that. But here is the point. Something that was started very small began to grow and it took over the region. Thousands of people were coming before God and laying their lives down because they believed it. But can I tell you and suggest to you this morning, but before the kingdom of God and Christianity began to grow on the outside, something first needs to take place, which is that it grows on the inside. The kingdom of God is like a seed that's planted on the inside of your heart and it begins to grow. And this is what happens when it grows inside your heart. It grows on the inside. It's all about faith and expectation based on what God says to be true. It's, it's about faith and expectation. Do you know how people see the kingdom of God on the outside? On the outside, they see a supernatural move of God. You see, on the inside of your heart, on the inside, what's happening where people can't see is faith and expectation. It just looks like a supernatural move of God on the outside when it begins to be poured out. You see, the kingdom of God... The kingdom of God begins to answer questions that we 
can't answer. That is what the supernatural does. It answers questions that we can't answer. You know, yesterday or the day before, I was sitting in a, in a, having a coffee and a lady walked past and we got into a conversation. She said that she had a sore shoulder. And so I said to her, I, I, I didn't tell her all about God and all about Jesus and try to get her to give her life to God. I didn't know where she was at in life. I just said, hey, can I pray for you? Because when God answers prayers, it begins to answer the questions that people have about him anyway. It's an expression of the kingdom. It's a supernatural move of God that answers questions for him. Have you ever tried to share um, your, the gospel or, or, or the story of Jesus with someone and got tongue-tied? You ever done that? Yeah, I have. And you begin to say it. And, and the worst thing is, is that when it starts to go south... You start to have two conversations. One conversation you're having with the person. The second conversation you are saying, how can I get out of this and recover because this plane is going down? And, and because you're tongue-tied, you don't know what to say. Well, you know what? If you've ever felt like that, I want to tell you that not only do I know what you feel like, but actually Paul did as well. And Paul in Corinthians recounts a conversation that he had with the Corinthians. And this is what he says. He said, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. If you're a person without lofty speech and wisdom, you're just like Paul in this moment. He said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Okay, anybody identify with that in the room? Whose mouth has ever been filled with words that are not plausible or wise, you know, and you're trying to say, but you're just sort of digging yourself a hole. So he goes, he's talking about it. It's not happening. It's not coming off. Oh, heck, let me just show you. But in a demonstration of the spirit of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, the thing is, when God shows up, it doesn't matter what wisdom the world has. Instantly in that moment, the kingdom of God will answer questions that people have about truth, about the universe. They can have all the wisdom in the world. The truth is, I would find that I am unable to articulate uh, the universe and its expansion. If I sat down and had a conversation with Stephen Hawking, I feel like in that moment I would fail that conversation miserably. Who knows who Stephen Hawking is? He, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's, he's one of the most brilliant men in the world, just doesn't have a relationship with God and finds an explanation outside of God for the origin of the universe. He's also then bringing out a movie about him soon. You might want to get along and see it. But here's the problem. I, I can't remember what illness he has, but I know that he's a cripple and he's in a chair and he has a machine that makes him talk. So if I was standing before Stephen Hawking's doing a terrible job of explaining the origins of the universe and he's talking about quantum physics and things that I don't know about, wouldn't it just be easier if I helped him out of the chair? Wouldn't that be easier? See, I don't have to know everything about the universe. And I don't have to know everything about what happens in people's lives. I don't have to know any of that stuff. I just have to know that God's able. I just have to know that God's willing. And as soon as I settle in my heart the question of whether He's willing and He's able... I could walk up to a guy like Stephen Hawking's who's built his life around explaining the fact that God doesn't exist. And I could say like Peter, rise and walk. And as he did, as he get out of his chair, the wisdom of men would be shattered. 
All the thoughts and ideas about the universe would be shattered in that moment because it is undeniable that when God moves, people are at a loss. They just don't know what to say. What did, what did Paul say? I'm literally trying to remember this stuff. I didn't even think of saying this. He said, for God doesn't use what is foolish. He, God used what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God uses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You may not be the most eloquent person with your words. You may not be able to articulate the gospel. You may, not, you may have all kinds of insecurities about your life. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. Don't think that really matters, but you know, insecurities are just rife everywhere. You may have all kinds of identity issues in your life, but you know, the thing that you need to do what God has for you on this planet is believe. Just keep believing because there comes a time in life where words run out and you could explain it to someone till you're blue in the face. But if you help them out of that chair, it would be a sign. And do you know what it would do in that moment? You see signs and wonders and miracles. I'm not obsessed with them. I I love Jesus, but I love the fact that they answer the questions uh, that people have in their hearts about God. Do you know what I love about that is that for many people in the world today, wanting to know if God is a loving God, you help someone and see God move in their life. And instantly in that moment, they know God loves them. They just know it. It answers the eternal questions of people's heart. And no longer are they saying, God, are you willing? God, are you able? Those are the questions that everyone wrestles with. But in that moment, they would know instantly. They would say, God must be willing. He must be able because it is under the name of Jesus that I was healed. It was under the name of Jesus that I was set free. It's under the power and authority of Jesus that I can stand here today. It would answer the questions of people's hearts. You know, you know, the Bible says, Well, Jesus said better. Jesus said that He would call us to the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Go out, make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, all that kind of stuff. It is the supernatural stuff of God. The Kingdom of God is inferred in the Great Commission. It's necessary for us to do, to to use, to actually accomplish that which God has actually called us to. And if we listen to Him, and if we lean into Him, and if we see, as we just read about Paul, a demonstration of the Spirit's power, it would answer the questions that people have in their mind about who God really is. Can I show you one more thing? And then I'm going to close. One more thing. Romans chapter 12 says this, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change your mind, change your thinking. Don't let the doubts begin to take root in your heart. Change your mind and your thinking so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. I love that scripture. It's about aligning our minds with what the Bible says to be true about God and not to entertain our own doubts or project our failures failures onto Him. That word for discern in Greek it's dokumazio. And it means to test. It means to examine. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, it's interpreted as the word proof because they're the same word. So let me just reread to you that scripture again. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. What, what if... It was our job to actually do work on behalf of God on the earth. And so when people are saying, what's the will of God? We say on behalf of Him, I know He's for you. I know God wants to heal you. 
How do I know God wants to heal you? Easy. Jesus said, when you've seen the Father, if you see me, you see the Father. And He healed everyone that came to Him. I believe that God wants to heal people. I believe that as Christians, we've got to bend our minds to that and don't, let, don't form a theology around failure. And once we believe that and settle the questions in our heart and minds, we can go out. And what does God say we would be? We would be His ecclesia. That is to say His church. That word ecclesia means the community of both heaven and earth, meaning that both angels and humans, us alike together, represent the will of the Father on earth. And we begin to speak to situations and circumstances and we transform the world around us, restoring it back to the way that God wanted it in the first place. When we speak, heaven moves. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. In other words, if you have no idea what I mean by that, I'm saying to you this, when we speak, heaven moves. If we're ambassadors for Christ, what good would it be to have an ambassador that had no authority or power to represent the person he's standing for? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? When we do this, when we represent God on earth, it reveals His heart to His people. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.